Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. This is actually episode 15 now, so we have 21 episodes planned in the Event Tech Talk Show season one, I guess. Um, and this episode is dubbed the Monte Carlo Simulation, which was something that I only heard about just recently when I first started talking to Matt, our guest, on today's episode a little bit earlier. But this will be explained fully a little bit later in the show by Matt, what that means and what relevance it has to the event sector. Now, before we get started, if you have missed any of the previous episodes of the show, you can visit eventtechtalks.com or obviously listen to them on any of the major podcasting apps. And I would, you know, obviously I'm biased, so do go and check out some of the past episodes. We've got everything from the metaverse to data to crypto and obviously virtual and hybrid events. It would go without saying that we've obviously covered that quite a lot over the last couple of episodes. Um, second to that, um, registration will actually be launching for Event Tech Live London on the 1st of September. So we're now live on the 26th of August. So if you're watching, hearing this back, you know, and registrations open, please do come along to the show. Now, this year's event will take place across the first week of November, um, from the 1st to the 5th, and will be the show's 8th edition. Um, actually, our first fully-fledged hybrid edition, we did have this planned um, back in 2020, but just as many other shows in the UK, we had to postpone. Now, you'll be able to attend in person at the Old Truman Brewery and, of course, virtually. So we encourage you, no matter where you're listening or watching this episode from, to come and join us. And you can expect um, exhibitors and their latest technology solutions from around the world there so you can demo some of the latest virtual technology some of the latest hybrid technology but more importantly quite a lot of the technology that will help support get events back in person and keep people safe in the interim um so this brings us on to today's episode joining me now is matt gray matt welcome to today's episode thank you for joining me it's a pleasure, Adam, and it's nice to take part in your in the talk show. Um, although I guess we <laughs> get to meet uh, in person next week at, at Comfex. We do absolutely, mate. Long, 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 long overdue. I can't wait to get back to uh, uh, the live element. Uh, what, can we call it live? I don't know. Is it is it live? Is it physical? I think we've still got to work that out, right? That's probably a topic for another uh, webcast. <laughs> so before we jump into today's topic, which was all about data measurement and has that relevance to the Monte Carlo simulation. For those that don't know, Matt, could you give us a brief kind of background history on what brought you to where you are today, how you got there, your experience in the events industry, and obviously a little bit about event decision and the role that it plays within the sector at the moment? Of course, Adam. So I'll keep this brief because uh, everyone likes to talk about themselves. Uh, but uh, I am um, lucky and grateful to have spent 25 years in the events industry, um, all agency side. Um, you will have found me, gosh, 25 years ago, uh, laden with bunting and um, speaker cable and the like, uh, you know, on family fun days and, and uh, uh, fun uh, Team, corporate team builds and so forth. But I have worked over that time um, through agencies uh, such as Penguins, Bank Sadler, um, Grassroots, uh, none of which uh, exist in their current form, of course. Uh, we're now looking at uh, DPRG 
uh, Amex and, and BCD. And then for the last uh, probably eight or nine years um, on the production side with uh, Fisher Productions and US agency Invent. Um, but like most th most people in our industry, the last 18 months have seen a lot of change. Um, and the COVID period, do we call it that, uh, enabled me to make a transition. I've always wanted to um, work for myself and start a company, but also to have an output that is um, more physical um, in its its nature, to have a product to sell if you're in biz dev, probably to quote more than to pitch, if that makes sense. And having sat amongst uh, event planners um, for the last 25 years, I, I've been um, privileged to hear, uh, see, them in, uh, see them in action and to hear some of the pain points and some of the decisions that they have to make, uh, often based just on gut feel or experience or crossing the fingers. Um, and, you know, that adds to the excitement and nerves pre-event pre and during event often as well. So I um, took the decision to, um, to launch event decision, which addresses exactly that point in that in the life cycle of an event, from start through to finish, there are, let's say, 10,000 decisions. Adam, you know this, you organize uh, Event Tech Live, uh, 10,000 decisions, let's say, that you and your team have to make. Some of them are pretty simple. How many chairs and tables do we need? Is the space large enough? Can people get to the venue? All those types of things that we do um, dozens of times a day. And then there are decisions which are more um, intricate or nuanced or technical. Uh, and those are the ones that uh, Event Decision likes to uh, offer support in. Um, and uh, we are we've, we've launched with with two. We're looking for another one or maybe two before the end of 2021 um, to to catch the beginning of the 22 season. Uh, and you know who knows where we end up. Hopefully, we'll be able to offer support all the way through the event lifecycle um, in terms of making better decisions delivering better events and ultimately for the client better roi fantastic mate well thank you well first of all congratulations <laughs> for launching your own business um i think that's one of the more beneficial things that i've seen come out of the last 12 18 months is it's given an opportunity to many people to actually follow their passion do something new reinvent themselves and, and really get into the corners or the niches of the industry that really kind of turn them on in terms of their own passions and things like that so congratulations because it's a tough time to launch a business I think it's tough to launch any business at any time really isn't it never mind the mid-pandemic um but to your point it's it's absolutely an area that people need lots of help in is making those decisions because I think it's fair to say most of the time most event are most events are planned and done on gut feel rather than data and, and 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 analytics and and kind of presented with with f hard facts rather than anything yeah. else would you agree on that uh, let's hope so it's the basis of my business <laughs> yeah, yes <that's> <laughs> so to lead us into I, i've got some really good questions um that i want to ask you around kind of like what should we measure when should we start planning to measure those things what should we ignore when it comes to measurement but to go to the point of the title of this 
podcast or today's episode, the Monte Carlo simulation. I found this fascinating when you first explained this to me. Would you explain it to the listeners, the viewers? What is the Monte Carlo simulation? Of course. Uh, aside from, from making you and I sound like James Bond, of course, um, the Monte Carlo, uh, Monte Carlo is a, it's a process, it's a statistical device um, that enables people to calculate a return on investment when you don't know what the costs and the benefits of your decision stroke investment are. So, you know, making a decision usually has an impact on, on the outcome. Otherwise, there's no decision to be made. This could be an agency deciding whether or not to pitch in for an RFP. It could be a, uh, a client deciding whether or not to actually host an event. And as we all know, because we're in the business, there are many, many variables within an event, especially when it gets to how much it costs and uh, uh, what the benefits, what the risks and costs associated are. So what Monte Carlo does, if you imagine you want to host an event, let's say your cost is going to be a million dollars. You could probably, but you're basing that on experience and you're hoping your revenue is going to be $1.5 million. Now, that's a really simple calculation, even for me. Um, and you're basing that probably on a bit of experience, a bit of gut feel um, and some average values. We're going to sell this many tickets at this price or our AV company will probably cost us that much or the venue in whatever um, way you're looking at that will cost this or that or the other, depending on the size of the event. What the Monte Carlo simulation does is allow you to put variables into, I won't get too statistical, uh, variables into your inputs. So you can say our event will probably uh, at the low end cost this and at the high end cost that. Our revenue should be this between here and there. And there are, as you can imagine, lots of variables. You put that in, you run the simulation, let's say 10,000 times. And you can correlate the variables. So clearly the number of delegates and the ticket revenue are going to be pretty strongly correlated. You might be able to draw a line or will draw a line for you between that and sponsor and partner revenue and so forth. So there's lots of behind the scenes calculations. But at the end of the day, it'll give you a spit out, a distribution, and it'll show you not only what might happen, but how likely it is to happen. So it's a tool that's used. I'll give you some examples in other industries. Um, mobile phone companies look at it in terms of uh, investment in new masts. They don't know what the exact costs are. They've got an idea of roughly what they should be. And they'll run a Monte Carlo simulation uh, 10,000 times to go actually in that location, because some costs will be up, some costs will be down and so forth. These are the risks that we're taking in terms of our investment. And here are the potential benefits if we do or don't make that decision. Oil and gas, obviously, they do the same when it comes to exploration. Pharmaceuticals do it with the launch of their new drugs in the pipelines. Automotives do it with brands and with factories and with so forth. It's not a new uh, process. It's not a new technology. Uh, I'm just introducing it to the event sector, uh, whether you're client side and you're hosting events, whether you're agency and you want to know whether to invest in a new premises, some new kit, uh, whether to an obvious one from a, an old biz dev perspective, whether to take part in an RFP. I spoke yep. to an old MD of a, a mid-sized agency this morning and said, how did you make those decisions? She went, just gut feel. Like, we want the logo or we don't. And 
our opinion is that the events industry is woefully behind others in some of these tactics, which mm-hmm. we may talk about shortly in some of the ways of measurements. Why on earth would you not run your business making decisions on better information, on better data? And that is what this provides for you. And the cost of information is low. So to run the Monte Carlo simulation doesn't cost as much as the value of the information that you get out. Um, So there's lots of ways it can be used. It's not live yet, fear not. Um, You you can't log onto our website, yes, and actually run the simulation. Um, But we are hoping to have that up and running uh, before the end of this year in a variety of decision-making processes. Fantastic. So you're going to take the you're going to take the Monte Carlo simulation and you're bringing it in frame for those in the events industry that's event specific to be able to put their own information data into it and hopefully have the same results as as these other industries yeah. and sectors that are using the Monte Carlo simulation. Right. Here's the cunning bit. Uh, we think we're special and different in the events industry. Every industry does feel they're special and different. An investment is an investment, whether it's in a you know in a in a pitch or an event. Um, you know, it's just the names of the input variables that are different. So yes, it's taking existing technology and reframing it, and and giving you usable, understandable outputs, a report or whatever you want to call it, um, so that even us low uh, lowly event <laughs> event planners know uh, know what it's trying to say. Why why do you think? Why do you think our industry has been slow to adopt these models that are clearly used extremely effectively in other sectors? I, I guess some might argue that we're dealing with humans and they're somewhat unpredictable, so you might need the Monte Carlo simulation 10x AI-driven to work out all those idiosyncrasies, but do you think it's just our lack of forward thinking in terms of those types of models or has there been other things that have kind of held us back from adopting those 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 practices uh, it's a good question i i would I, firstly it's not really ai i mean it's a straightforward calculation albeit kind of north of my a level statistics mm-hmm. math but it's it's uh it's not machine learning it's just proven methodology um of statistics it's a, an entirely different conversation with why the events industry is where it is um, in, in in many ways. You know, we look at the pandemic and we say, oh, we didn't have so much support from the government. Is that because we don't have sick and sock codes because we're such a diverse industry? Mm. And actually, when you look at events and, it, you know, it's providing you with a living, it's provided me with 25 years of living and hopefully many more um, and employs tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. But we are so diverse. And when, when you look at, and we, we tend to serve, from our inward perspective, we tend to serve other industries. So we run events for automotive, we run events for F&B and so forth. Um, actually, when you look at it, uh, the events industry is relatively small compared to you know people who make cars, um, people who build software in terms of their reach, if not the numbers of people, um, you know the companies that make the food and drink that we consume. We're we're not as big and defined and therefore regulated so decisions can be made you know on a whim uh i once i worked for one agency who made a hundred thousand dollar investment in an rfp um literally on a on a gut feel it wasn't a great call at the uh, as we later found out but you know that's a considerable amount of money for any organization um especially an agency of that size so you know 
actually, when you're going to run a simulation and, and we're looking at small percentage, small percentages of that kind of money to actually realize uh, you can still make these decisions on a gut feel. You can still say, actually, our, our chance of winning this is X percent on a gut feel, on experience, or we just want the logo. And you know, those are, you know, the agency's owner's decisions. But where, where there's a, a, a good sum of money um, for an agency or for a client to hold an event at Excel or anywhere else, it's, it's not, you know, they're not trivial amounts mm -hmm. to actually understand what the risk is and what the benefits are. Um, with imperfect information, that's the benefit of Monte Carlo, uh, is, is really, um, really beneficial. Well, tools... Tools like this really, really interesting interest me. Um, I'm a I'm a big sci-fi fan, and there's some, there's some great films out there that work on predictive models. Um, Tom, oh, there's a Tom famous Tom Cruise one that works on predictive models around crime, and it's looking mm -hmm. at they're going to predict that somebody's going to commit a murder or a crime or something like that, and they can essentially intervene and cut crime into to zero into death. The premise of the, the the film is actually that there's there's an inherent flaw in it and that human it's that, it's actually that human flaw that decision making process to actually ignore some of the some of the outcomes that come from it. My point, I guess, the point I'm leading up to is, for me at the moment, it sounds like a obviously using some of this technology in line with other existing practices could potentially cre obviously create a better business a better outcome you know more streamlined um help support certain gut feelings and things like that but is there any danger because i could imagine some companies going only that way and all of their decision making is then based on this one predictive model or piece of technology and do they pitch for that customer do they not do they go with that sense of marketing that language that model that kind of thing do you think there's any danger in in using predictive models like this when we're dealing with things that make people feel good about brands and things like that i i think probably not i mean as you say we're, we're all human um now that makes us as fallible as, as anyone else there's confirmation mm -hmm. there's lots of confirmation biases different biases on which we make our decisions um event decisions were formed clearly to just help event decisions uh, event planners make better decisions. They didn't say make the decision for you. Um, you know, everyone has a different attitude to risk. So Monte Carlo might spit out something like there's a 50% chance of winning that business. That might be really attractive to mm -hmm. one agency and really unattractive to another. You know, what decision makers do with the information that, that we provide uh, or will provide in Monte Carlo simulations, but also, you know, in, in, current measurement um, metrics that we provide for clients is, is, is almost up to them. So if you take, um, and you'll forgive us for starting with more tangible methods of measuring. So there's a, a product we call Wi-Fi Decision where um, we'll effectively do, um, do an audit of a venue's Wi-Fi specifically with that agency or that client's event in mind. So rather than taking the venue's word for it that they've got 80 meg up and down, um, we will map the actual speeds that are actually delivered on the ground across the entire floor of the uh, proposed event space. Um, now that either comes up, it's a lovely uh, heat map, which is very easy to understand for me, thankfully. Um, what the 
decision maker chooses to do with that information entirely up to them. It might be in that gray area where Wi-Fi, it should be okay. It should be okay. Let's cross our fingers and hope when everyone hits vote or when everyone registers at the same time, it doesn't fall over, which seems to me to be the, the, the way that the majority of events are planned currently. Um, or you can take that information and decide to boost or not, given the requirements that you have. So that's a yeah. nice, easy yeah. measurement. There's no, you don't have to buy an extra product if you don't want. You can make the decision. It's your decision, it's your event, it's your money. Uh, the same way with uh, uh, the second product is making um, many more waves as you would expect right now, because it's got the word sustainability in it. Um, where we measure carbon emissions and profiles of events uh, at planning stage. So six months or so in advance, when you're looking at your destination, when you're looking at whether you're going to go live or hybrid or fully virtual, we can calculate the emissions of your event at that stage, rather than doing on the ground audit and then offset post event. Why not look, and it's what ISO 2012-2012 dictates that you should do, is to, to make decisions in your process as you go along that bear the sustainability criteria in mind. So. People normally look, I guess, at planning, they're going to look at venue accessibility, mm -hmm. um, uh, venue cost, venue availability, and so forth. And now, for the first time, you can put sustainable criteria into that mix as well. We're not expecting an event decision. We're not expecting all of a sudden, all oh, clients are going to move from Paris to New York or to Shanghai because it's a more sustainable option. But at least those things are being talked about and they're being measured in the same way that you look at other criteria. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yes, there's a certifiable and, and verifiable way to measure these things. That's why you get a third party to do it, like ourselves. But again, you're not you're not doing it on gut feel. And a lot of this data, you know, it's not going to uh, reveal, a, a, you know, a panacea of unknown. You know, if you, if you do, if you want to do an event with fewer flights, you're going to have a reduced emissions profile. Sure. But actually, we can quantify that and say it's 20% less or it's 40% less or whatever it is. So, um, you know, those are the ways, those are the two main tools uh, that are available at the moment in terms of connectivity and sustainability. But, um, you know, there's there's more to come. That sounds really, I mean, Wi-Fi is one of my... Uh one of my bugbears at any event mate I was um uh, at our first event we had that very same scenario the first event technology awards wi-fi we've got enough for everybody we told them it was a tech crowd and wallop you know about halfway through the event it just fell over because of the demand of the audience and the number yeah. of, I think I think I think the event tech audience bring I think the average is three <laughs> devices I think they bring about 30 a piece yeah how um, to publish that on social as well don't they? <laughs> and, and sustainability another one of our kind of key passions here at event industry news and, and part of um you know it's been part of event tech lies ethos right from the start is is a sustainable approach to to our events measurement is is one thing so so what do we need to measure them Matt? what's the what's the key important because it's about collecting the information and the data because otherwise without that you, you you're going to struggle to measure anything aren't you so what should we where in the planning process should we be thinking about collecting information and data so that we can have that effective measurement and as the things that we should are less important at that stage and we should focus because you know do we measure everything do we measure just part of it what's your advice there to anybody that's thinking about measurement uh, 
It's a good question. Um, it depends on the nature and the size of, of your event. If, if you're looking to a team build for 50 people, then I, we would suggest going down the real tactical route of mm. you know, not using single-use plastics and so forth. We should we should all be doing this anyway, but they, the, the type of measurement will vary depending on the type of, of the event. So, for example, the calculator that we use uh, has 39 different criteria. Um, you know, down to as far as cups of tea and cups of coffee, the star rating of the hotel for accommodation, the power used by AV and, and so forth. If you've got a global conference or a regional conference, the vast majority, a significant amount of your emissions profile is going to be made up of flights, um, accommodation to a extent, delegate travel uh, by car, especially and food and beverage. Now, I've been talking to quite a few agencies and planners recently, uh, and sometimes they ask, you know, how, how do we deal with the guilt? We can't organize a completely uh, carbon-free event. We can offset afterwards, and that's a different discussion. We can't organize a carbon-free event. And then just point again to another industry. Mm. Or to, people have been making cars for, what, 100 years, let's say. Uh, and people have been buying cars for 100 years. And then in the last... 15, maybe. I don't know what you drive, Adam, or indeed if you drive. But people are now making quite big buying decisions. My family bought a car uh, two weeks ago and we bought a hybrid uh, because of, you know, <laughs> for a number of reasons. Uh, we can look at events in the same way. Eventually, clients will start to make buying decisions on the back of our ability to deliver carbon neutral or carbon reduced or mitigated events. And the only way to actually see if you're doing that is to measure it. Uh, so, you know, we can measure virtually any criteria around event activity. A lot of them are relatively minor for big events. And if you've got a small event, more of them be become um, important or significant. But, yeah. you know, for something like Event Tech Live, you know, you're probably not that bad, depending on the um, old Truman power supply profile uh and, and i would make the assumption that hopefully as few of your exhibitors as possible will bring trucks and that most of us who are going to attend myself included will come by public transport uh, but we can actually quantify that we'll give you a number of yeah. tons of co2 emitted and as we said earlier it's your decision whether you want to offset that or not but at least we're giving you the tools to uh, so we look forward to events at Live 2022 uh, here and in the US or Canada, wherever you're going to put that, um, being the footprint being reduced from this year. There's your challenge. Um, but you do need to measure it to be able to do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think what's really interesting, I mean, to your buying decisions, behavioral changes and people and the way that they are making buying decisions is 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 definitely changing. And I almost wonder if there's an opportunity for the events industry, the events sector, to play some role in incentivizing the choices of our audience in being more sustainable in their approach to the event as well. So my example, an example I would pull from that is let's look at the way that the government is incentivizing the adoption of electric vehicles at the moment. There's, in, there's, there's grants for home pod chargers, there's things in place for businesses, um there's certain tax breaks and things like that for business owners if they want to go down that route in terms of you know uh, company benefits and things i wonder if we'll ever see event owners 
taking the responsibility of going, we can have a direct influence on these people by, hey, I don't know, maybe it's a couple of quid off your your ticket if you come by, if you walk the last three miles of your journey versus kind of, you know, even public transport or, you know, mm-hmm. can you um, can you come in um, via public transport rather than driving and things like that. Maybe even exhibitors and sponsors and things that can kind of bring lots of traffic in and around venues as a way to incentivize them, ultimately making your event more sustainable in its approach, hitting people where they they feel it the most, which is in the pocket, right? Do you think we'll see a a time like that? uh, You know, people are driven by a mixture of kind of wallet and and passion and heart, I suppose, especially in, you know, sustainability could be, quite um, emotive you know there's a great idea that you've just put forward uh there is for the first time the sustainable event show happening mm-hmm. immediately after cop 26 we've just seen the ipcc report um with predictable headlines uh two two weeks ago that was published so sustainability is is going to be everywhere our thought is that it'll be driven by uh, clearly by client money brand money um but agencies will be the implementers and the creators. Uh, that seems to be the, the way it works. Um, and, you know, it's up to the agencies to show the, the client's going to say, oh, of course, we want to mitigate our emissions. We want to be seen, uh, be seen and actually do the right thing. Um, and then it's up to agencies to translate that into what that looks like on an event basis. I actually really like the idea that you've just put forward. <laughs> Well, you can you can you can take it as part of events decisions recommendations yeah, well, to event organizers on the system. There you go. I mean, there are a lot of consultancies that I'm out there who will help with trying to reduce um, your carbon footprints yeah. in terms of practical tips uh, of, of organizing and delivering events. Our main role is actually to measure the effectiveness of those. Yeah. Can I ask you really? It, it, this might seem a bit of an awkward, a tough question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. You know, every we, we as an industry where we're still in the very painful period of, of coming out what has been a, a, a disastrous last 12, 18 months, I think, in general for, for most people. Um, you know, how's event decision being received by the agencies and the planners and people like that that you're, you're, you're speaking to? Is this still high on the agenda for the events industry or is it a case of, Yes, it's 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 where we want to go to. Right now, it's about getting back to pre-pandemic levels and things like that. Or is it even part of that tactic now? Is it part of that strategy to to coin the term? Not that I've coined it, but one that's battered around a lot at the moment is building back better. Yeah. You know what? What's what's the? How's it been received, Matt? Um, I've absolutely no doubt the industry as a whole will build back and is building back better. And we've got that whole virtual tool that we never had before Mm. apologies to those long-standing platforms um because you know two years ago we were still delivering in person in person in person and and doing a bit of streaming and and Mm. and, you know it's been a kick up the ass excuse my french for the industry for the industry um nobody would wish a covid of course not but it has forced change um and you know, it's been an uncomfortable journey for, for many, without doubt, and, and friends and family of mine included. But also, you know, we saw yesterday, I, I know of half a dozen agencies who are crying out. So the problems are different, crying out for good people to come and, and you know, help them deliver their, their pipeline. Um, so, you no, know, what better time to get into the industry um, and to 
make other changes, try and professionalize the events industry as best we can to learn from other industries. Uh, because, you know, whatever we measure, it's been measured before somewhere else by somewhere, someone else. Uh, all the technology that we use, the carbon calculator, the um, uh, gadgets around Wi-Fi measurement and stress testing, they're not new technology. Uh, you know, Monte Carlo simulation's been around to square that circle for, uh, well, not often does the events industry have something to do with the atom bomb. It was developed during the H-bomb, the Manhattan Project, um, because there wasn't much uranium to go around. So they wanted to predict what was going to happen. That's the basis of Monte Carlo. So, you know, none of this is especially new, but it appears to be quite new to a lot of um, people and planners involved in the uh, in the events industry so you know anything yeah. that we can do to support them delivering better events um in whatever you want to define better as then you know that's the reason why event decision is about yeah i think i think to that point you know that's the beauty about the events market is to a degree somewhat it's about how people walk away from an from an event feeling you know we hope to instill inspire people give them good connections good network make them feel good about our brand and ultimately up until i would say now events have been very good at just doing that and not necessarily having to measure and take all of those things into 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 consideration but i think the last 12 18 months of this have taught us that we need to make changes within the business model um, we need to introduce new business models new revenue streams new predictive uh, new protection against our business because just relying on a physical element clearly isn't the most sustainable business decision going forward and i think we're seeing encroaches into our industry from some of the bigger tech monopoly players you know is it is it too far to say that we wouldn't see somebody like a Google, a Netflix or an Amazon come into the event market producing these amazing events to collect all of this data and information on people that they can pump out somewhere and, you know, make a buck or two on the back end of it. Um, well, so, I mean, Netflix, uh, those brands already do produce some brilliant events. Uh, you know, sure. Netflix goes off to the south of France, like like many media companies. But, um, you know, and we've seen LinkedIn uh, dive headfirst into, into the event tech sector. So... Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and Zoom has followed and who's to say some of the big ones either. But, you know, we, I don't think we should be afraid of change. Um, you know, it's a constant topic of conversation. But if we didn't have change, you and I would I'd be faxing back my registration form for Event Tech Live, um, you know, trying to make the thing go through. And, and isn't the process easier uh, generally at the moment than, than how things used to be? So let's just let's just carry that on. Let's take the best of what we've got to deal with right now and having dealt with for the last 18 months um, and let's learn from industries that are uh, more advanced yeah. further down the line than than us uh, in in you know some of these uh, measurement techniques to actually you know benchmark where we are and actually get us to where we want to be yeah it's funny it's funny you should say that i just had a vip pass delivered to an address that i'm i've not been into in the last two years <laughs> so we def we definitely need to change that. Memory um, lane for you to pick it up then. Matt, just very briefly, what what else is coming from event decision? You've you've mentioned two great kind of measurement tools, things that you bring into the market for the event sector. What other areas of of kind of the the industry do you want to help support with 
what you're producing in terms of, of, of platform and software and stuff? I think we've got our, our hands full right now. So we've got two tangible metrics that agencies or clients or venues or even platforms. So we've signed a deal with the global platform in terms of uh, the sustainability piece this week. But um, in a way, however you describe the life cycle of an event, you know, whether it's a straight line from one to the end to the other, whether it's your, your circular model, um, we feel that there are opportunities for meaningful, useful measurement at every stage. So... Uh, you know, as we said, Monte Carlo comes soon. That's going to help at the beginning. Should we do this event? Should we participate in that RFP? Decisions around unknowns going forward. Then there'll be a succession of different measurements that you can take advantage of if you want during the planning process. So that's, you know, your Wi-Fi sustainability. And probably we'd like to pick the more difficult ones to measure in the belief that you can measure anything. Um, you know, if it matters, you can see it. If you can see it, you can put a number against it. If you put a number against it, you can measure it. So, uh, you know, watch this space, I would say. Uh, but Monte Carlo comes next and hopefully by the end of the year. Fantastic, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Um, everybody, please do go out and check out Matt. Connect up with him on LinkedIn. Go and check out eventdecision.com where everything about Matt is is there. Um We've actually even got somebody from the US coast here. That's how far we're reaching. Matt, look at that. Hey, hey, uh, hey, Floyd. Um, I'm going to ask you three quick fire questions. I didn't tell you about this, but no, I'm going to blame my uh, good friend, Nick Borelli, here well, at All Seated, who, who introduced this concept. So I'm going to nick a little bit of it. I'm not going to go into the depth that he did. Um, but I want to ask you three questions. First and foremost, what is your favorite piece of event tech? And you can't say event decision. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, right now, I'm quite excited by this piece of tech that will um, pick up the pings that your phone makes uh, as you walk through a venue, uh, indoor or outdoor. So whether you've switched your Wi-Fi on or not, your phone is talking to the access points, going, hey, I'm here. And the access point goes, yeah, you can join or no, you can't. Um, and this seems to be there's a company or a couple of companies out there that can uh, measure that uh, outside of GDPR, um, clears all that off. Um, but it seems to be a great way to be able to track footfall, to measure footfall and audience flow, which I'm sure would be of interest to some of the kind of major outdoor organizers or anyone who sells sponsorships or exhibition spots for those types of events. We, we use that technology at Event Tech Live for the very reason of rebook um, to- there you go dispel the myth that my stand hasn't been very busy through the show. <laughs> um, so, yeah. the ones that have been, yeah, we know that. <laughs> Favorite piece of personal tech. So this could be something fun. It doesn't have to be related to the events industry and it can't be related to work. It's not. It's it's Strava. Um, so, Strava. Uh, yeah, good old Strava. Uh, uh, mountain biking uh, with and without the dog. Um, and it's just fun. And occasionally people that uh, you haven't spoken to for ages ping up going, nice work. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just fun. It does have a nice social effect to it, doesn't it? In yes, terms of the uh, yeah, competitive side of things. And one thing maybe recently or that you use on a daily basis for work that helps you maybe do things more efficiently or effectively. So I'll give you examples. It could be, 
an Asana, it could be a Slack. I'm trying to kind of eke out things that people are using that maybe the wider world doesn't necessarily know of. Um, gosh, good question. I mean, aside from like the CRM, which mine is HubSpot, um, the business tools, uh, LinkedIn without a, a doubt. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, as you would expect at the outset of, of any business. Uh, probably WhatsApp for business actually has been mm. useful and is a little bit more unusual than LinkedIn. So uh, for those people who I, we get no response from, for example, for, via traditional channels and email is, is you know, rapidly going, um, it's fine, but nobody seems to respond to it anymore. Uh, so, you know, for those that you feel appropriate, WhatsApp business has been, um, you know, a real pleasant surprise. Um, and yeah. there's no cost attached, which is just a bonus. So I think I think the times have changed. I think a, a, a decade ago, I don't think anybody would have um, even dreamt of possibly following an email up or, or reaching out to somebody via via text message. But it's it's actually an extremely efficient way to get a response and get to a yes or a no or, or, or spark a conversation off, isn't it? So I, I have to agree yeah. with there. And I, I think we have to be cognizant of, of who one would ping WhatsApp business sure. to. But, you know, given those social rules, then, yeah, it's really useful. Maybe we can get Boris Johnson's WhatsApp number and we can, we can ping him a few suggestions for the events industry. Um, just on LinkedIn, um, one piece of tech that I found really useful for LinkedIn is a system called Tidy Tags. Um, go and check that out. It's a free solution um, and it's a Chrome widget. Um, so for anybody watching that uses Chrome or Brave or any of those types of browsers, um, once you're logged into LinkedIn under somebody's profile, whether that's in your feed or their, their dedicated profile, it's very, very small um, little um, tag box appears. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm even going to go and see if I can share my screen now because I have actually got LinkedIn up. Uh, so this one, if we share here... Um, this is something that's helping me really streamline my LinkedIn outreach. So if you can just see under Thomas's um, name, there is a little green box that says add. And then obviously what this looks like a, a tag next to it. I'm just going to see if I've got here. So here we go. Jason Allen Scott. I have tagged him as a speaker and as an event tech supplier. So what you actually get as well is you get a dashboard um, which you can go into and then those tags become filters. So if you are kind of building profiles of people in groups, um, whether that be a supplier, an MC, an event technology provider, all those kind of things, that makes it, I found that makes it really, it becomes almost like a LinkedIn CRM. And I found that extremely beneficial to group people together in LinkedIn and, and jump into their profiles and send them messages and stuff very efficiently. I'll uh, I'll thank you, Adam, for that on behalf of everyone that's watching this. <laughs> I made a note in the old-fashioned style, but I'm sure to get onto tiny tags later on. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you very much for coming on today. Um, I'm sure by the sounds of things, we'll we'll get you on in another couple of episodes. Um, for everybody that's watched again, please do go out and connect up with Matt on LinkedIn, do connect up with him through eventdecision.com and we will see you in the next episode.